Thanks for tuning in to the Middle School Ministry Podcast for Cornerstone Chapel. Let's head into the service and see what Pastor Turner has to share this week. Last week we were talking about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And it's really incredible when you think about it. The king came down to wash his servants' feet. What king washes his servants' feet? Well, our king washes his servants' feet. Jesus, our king, washes our feet and he demonstrates this as an act of love, a, a display of, of love in his character and who he is for the rest of the world to take notice of. So we ended there. And now we're going to fast forward into chapter 14, verse 15. And uh, we're going to continue through to the end. So we'll read, we'll pray, and then we'll get into the Bible study. So let's start in chapter 14 of John, verse 14, or verse 15, I'm sorry. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see you anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what, the, what my Father has commanded me. Come, now let us leave. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word this morning, your time of worship. We thank you for uh, the, this Memorial Day weekend, Lord, as we look for uh, summer to, to come, Lord. It's fast approaching, just a few weeks away. And Lord, as we think of the beginning of summer and the end of our school year, we pray that you would help us to remain strong and, and finish strong in the school year, that we wouldn't just zone out and, and just kind of be there, but Lord, we would actually be a good witness for you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us, you would bless us. And so, Lord, we pray for this Bible study as well, that you would help it, you would bless it. As we read your word, as we dig in, Lord, that you would encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are in John chapter 14, and 
chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 are a series of conversations and even prayers that Jesus has with his disciples that are actually unique to John's gospel. I, um, when we first started this book of John, we talked about the uniqueness of this gospel in comparison to the other three. And this is one of the features that make it unique is that there's some pretty big discourses by Jesus himself and the things that he prays and things that he talks about that the other gospels don't necessarily record. Now, it doesn't mean that they didn't know or that they weren't privy to it. They were probably there, but John had the privilege of actually writing it out in detail so that you and I could have it. It's unique to his gospel. Now, John is also known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So it is possible that Jesus drew him near and, and wanted him to see these things and witness and hear these things so that he could record them and write them down later. Uh, so in any case, we have them. And there's some really spectacular things that Jesus talks about in these last parts. Now, remember, the shadow of the cross is here. Jesus is, this is, we're winding down his ministry here. This is coming to the last moments of his life. Uh, before he's arrested and, and put in trial and then hung on a cross. And so you're going to find that these conversations, the things that Jesus says in these last moments, are going to be some of the most important things that he would say. Think about what would you talk about if you knew that your hour was come, that you were only going to be alive for 12 more hours. What type of life would you live? What type of conversations would you have? How would you be? Who would you spend your time with? You know, if you know that it was the last moments of your life, and, and that's really what's happening here with Jesus. So we find ourselves here, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He promises us the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of craziness about the Holy Spirit that's been taught and shown throughout uh, church history, and even today, people believe a lot of crazy things about the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, between this, uh, this chapter 14 and then in two weeks when we get into chapter 16, when we talk about the works of the Holy Spirit, or the work of the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to get a little bit clearer picture on what they are. We'll put them together, and we'll see them, uh, hopefully, a, a more clearer picture of, of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is nothing new to church history or church life. In fact, if you read the Bible at all, the very second verse of the Bible, God reveals his spirit to everything. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, I'm kind of bizarre, and I like to think of it as the Holy Spirit was surfing, because <laughs> it's the waters and darkness, and there's, you know, probably waves were crashing and things were happening, and I just think of the Holy Spirit just hovering over the waters of the earth as God had yet to make land, he had yet to make fish and things and people and all of that, and so he's got his Holy Spirit right there in verse 2 of chapter 1 of Genesis. So he was revealing himself very early on to show that the Spirit was a unique part of God and it was uh, important for us to know that this is a real thing. This is not just an aspect. It's just not an idea or a thought. It is part of who God is. His spirit, it belongs to him. It is who he is. But there's two things in here that we see that are very unique that Jesus speaks of about the Holy Spirit and giving him a title. And that is the title of a counselor. Look, at me, look with me there in verse uh, in verse 20, uh, 16, he says there very, uh, very quickly, he says, And I will ask the Father, he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. A counselor. He also says it again in verse 26. He says in verse 26, he says, um, he says that, uh, But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have, I have said to you. And then again, 
it says it in chapter 15, just one chapter over. He says it in, in verse 26 of chapter 15. He says, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So we see here that he calls the Holy Spirit a counselor, a counselor. And that comes from the Greek word parakletos, which means para, which means alongside or with, and kletos, which means counselor in the Greek. So you have a counselor beside you or with you. So God's saying that when Jesus is saying, when I leave, because he knew he was going to die on the cross, he knew that he was going to ascend up into heaven and he was going to be there until he returns again to, in the rapture to take the church with him. He says, until, and when that point comes when I leave and until I return, I'm going to give you my counselor to be with you. I'm going to give you my very spirit. And he actually alludes to the fact that it's more important that we have the Holy Spirit than him because it's going to do greater things than even he did because it will be in multiplication. Jesus, when he reduced himself to one person in the the sense of God with skin on, he did what he did. He healed the people that were in front of him. He he, uh, did the miracles that in that three-year ministry. But he was going to expand his ability to reach and to do these things by the power of his own Holy Spirit through the vessels of his church, which would be you and I. And that was what our promise was that we were going to have, that God was going to increase his ministry, his reach, and his abilities um, through his Holy Spirit and through us. And so he gives us a counselor to be with us, alongside of us. And he talks in verse 26 there, if you look at that, it says, the counselor of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So he gives us two ways that the Holy Spirit will counsel you as you serve and live for him. One is to teach you all things, and the other is to remind you of everything he said to you. Well, we know that in John chapter 1, verse 1, this very gospel, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we find that Jesus is all-encompassing in the Bible. We're talking the Old Testament. We're talking the New Testament. We're talking everything that happened before the Gospel of John, everything that happens after the Gospel of John. The entirety of the Bible is God's Word, and Jesus is in that. So when he says he'll teach you and he'll remind you of everything he said to you, he's referring to God's Word. So the Holy Spirit will take and counsel you as you walk in this life as a believer in the things of God. It will remind you of the very things that God said to you, the encouragements, the, the warnings, the, the things that we are to look for, the things that we are to avoid, the things that we are to pursue. All of those things that are held in, in God's whole counsel of his entire Bible is given to us, and the Holy Spirit will act as a counselor in that regard and how you live your life in relation to his word. Now, you guys are moving from middle school into high school. Many of you are, are closing out your eighth grade years here, and you're getting ready to look forward to high school. And one of the things that will happen to you in high school, and some of you already know, is you will have a conversation, a sit-down conversation with a counselor. And the student counselor will sit down and they'll begin to ask you what kind of classes you want to take. Where, what are your goals? What do you want to be when you finish high school? Where would you like to go to college? What would you like to study in college? And so based on those things, the counselor will come alongside you through your high school career and will help you decide what classes you need to take and where you need to be. And, and as that goes on, maybe you find that it's different or maybe you find that maybe you do want to be an accountant when you get out of high school, but your math skills are really weak. And so the, the counselor says, maybe you shouldn't be an accountant. Maybe you should consider gardening, right? Or maybe you should consider being a chef or something like that. I don't know. You know, whatever they tell you. For me, they were like, just get out of high school, Turner. Just graduate. <laughs> 
That's it. Just please get out of our face. No, no. But for, for you guys, they will, they will counsel you. They will give you guidance. They will, they will come alongside you through your high school and, help, and supposedly help you. And it also goes if you have any disputes or problems with another student in your class. The counselors will hopefully be there to assist you in that as well. And so we see that he's going to remind us. He's going to teach us. He's going to do these things. And so for us that believe, it's a great gift, isn't it? For those of you that belong to the Lord, it's a great gift to have the Holy Spirit to come beside you and teach you and remind you. But then if you go over to chapter 15, go to verse 26 of chapter 15, because I already read this, but it says, When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So in chapter 14, he tells us that he'll teach us and remind us. In chapter 15, he will testify about us. Now, the Holy Spirit is a gift for a believer. If you are not a believer, if you're not a Christian, you cannot have access to God's Holy Spirit in the same way that a believer can, to be taught or to be reminded of the very things of God. In fact, it's very likely that an unbeliever has zero interest in the things of God anyways, uh, but in particular God's Word and how they should live their life. But it's emphasized even more back in chapter 14. So flip back to 14. Go, go with me there um, to, the, to verse uh, 17. It says, the spirit of truth. It says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. It says, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, Jesus was talking about the vast difference between a believer, one that is known by God and belongs to God, versus an unbeliever who rejects God and who has no part with him. In fact, he even says there in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. So he talks about how a believer is actually adopted in, and you are adopted as a child of God. You're a son or a daughter of the God of the Lord Most High. You are brought in. You're born again. You're a new creation. So when chapter 15 talks to us about how the Holy Spirit will testify this is what happens. When God is in the process of moving someone from death into life, in other words, being from not knowing him to knowing him, from being you know, spiritually dead to being born again spiritually, there's a process that occurs. And one of those processes is that a believer will share the gospel message with an unbeliever. We will testify about the Lord. Now, who of you guys in here watch uh, like House or ER or some of these medical shows that are on? You guys like them? Maybe even you've seen some of these medical shows on like Discovery Channel and things like that, like Ambulance. And they have so many different shows on. I, I can't watch them personally. I'm not, I don't do well with blood. And so I get kind of a gag reflex and I just, I can't handle it. And when I see someone that's all mangled up laying on a bed there, you know, and they're trying to work on them in the ER, I just, it's, what's the point? Why would I want to watch that? Why, why would you subject yourself to that? Anyways, uh, so on these ER shows, oftentimes you'll see where they're working on a patient and maybe they've had some kind of heart attack or something's happening where, and then they die. And so what they do is in the process of trying to revive the patient, they'll take the uh, defibrillators and they'll charge up this thing, this device on the wall and they'll, they'll, they'll uh, rub them together and then they'll be like clear and everybody gets away and doesn't touch it. And they lay these two paddles on the chest of the, of the victim there on the, on the, on the bed and, and they'll clear and then they send this electronic surge through the paddles into the person's body and it causes the heart to palpitate, and then it sends that current through, and hopefully it'll kind of kickstart the heart and get it beating on its own again. And this, has, this process has to happen rather quickly after it stops, because after too long, it just won't, it won't work. It won't happen. And it can also cause great damage to the body. I mean, not only this an electronic pulse going through a person's body, not really good for them, but 
it also, as more time goes by, oxygen is depleted from the brain and no brainwave activity, and you can, be, you can receive brain damage from being dead. So they have to act quickly. Now, a dead person, much in the same way that is on that table, when you are testifying or sharing the gospel with someone, it is much like those paddles being warmed up and sent spiritually into the life of that dead person, you know, who's that spiritually dead person. As you testify about God, the surge of the power of the Holy Spirit goes in and it suddenly like shocks them and wakes them for a moment. And they hear the words of truth. They see the life of God for just a glimpse. And it's the, the Lord, His Holy Spirit's awakening them. He's moving them. Now, a dead person cannot by themselves get up and go and find a doctor and be like, hey, I'm dead. I kind of need some help here. You know, I've got this gash. I'm bleeding out. I'm dead. I need help. No, a dead person lies. They're dead. They don't move, do they? They, don't, they can't do anything for themselves. They can't call the doctor. They can't dial 911. They can't tell their loved ones that they'll miss them. They can't do anything. They lay there dead. They're dead. No life in them. Spiritually speaking, before you know Christ, you are in the same condition. You can do nothing to help yourself to be alive, spiritually speaking. It must be an act of God coming through His Holy Spirit into your life, awakening you, sending His incredible power into your spiritual life, making you alive. When you share the gospel with someone, the Holy Spirit comes and He will testify about the truth of God to that person in that moment. It's as though the paddles of heaven have been charged up and you're sharing the gospel. Power is coming. Power. Oh, Jesus. I see the light. Hey, I'm alive. You know, accept the Lord. That's the process that happens. I wish it would happen every time and it could happen, you know, every time we charge them up and do it. But what happens is there is a process that God uses and testifying is one of those things that the Holy Spirit will do. So he teach you. He will remind you for those of us that know him. But for those of us that don't know him, he will, when we testify about him, he will testify that these things are true. He will, he will sit there and say, this is true. You need to repent. You need to come. You need to give your heart to him. He will share in the power. The Holy Spirit will come. We also learn in, in chapter 16 that he will convict the world according to sin, judgment, and righteousness. So when you share, you testify, the Holy Spirit moves on that, and it convicts the hearts of men so that they will believe and turn their hearts to him and repent. So that's one way that he's called a Holy Spirit. The other is that there's a much more personal, the Holy Spirit's called counselor. There's much more personal uh, reference to the Holy Spirit in that he calls him he or him. Look with me in verse 17, if you will, for just a minute. It says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives in you or lives with you and will be in you. So he says five separate times in one verse there in chapter, in verse 17, that it, he refers to it as him or he. He says, this, he says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives in you and will be with you. So he, lives, he will be with you and lives in you. So you see five separate times that he's, he's referring to the Holy Spirit as a he or him. Now, he's not trying to be biased and say, oh, there's no room for ladies, but God refers to himself as a he in the masculine anyways. But that's not my point about this whole thing. It's that it is referred to in the third person, which means, when you guys know your English, third person references is that he's been given a title or a reference that's been uh, first person somewhere earlier on. In this case, it happens to be the spirit of truth. So it's the spirit of truth, he or him. It's very personal. It's very unique. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
Now, not in the sense of flesh and blood like you and I, but much like in the sense when Jesus ascended from uh, the grave, he rose from the dead, and when he was in his resurrected condition, it was very similar to that. Now, he moved from physical to spiritual in many ways because he'd walk through walls and he'd fly and he'd come back, and, but then he would eat with them and they could touch him. So there was like this incredible ability in his resurrected condition that um, we don't always understand. But the Holy Spirit is, is different in that sense that it's real. You can feel him, you can sense him, and he's real in that condition. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this before, how when we sin willfully, we grieve the heart of God and the Holy Spirit is grieved. You can bless the Holy Spirit. You can obey the words of God and bless the Holy Spirit, and, and he'll, he'll be blessed by your, by your behavior. But he is very personal here, and he talks about that. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, listen to what God says about when he created man. He says, Then God said, Let us also make man in our image and in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. In Genesis, when God made man, he says, we'll make them in our image and in our likeness. Now, is God schizophrenic? No, he's not. Remember John 1, 1, he said, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. In the beginning, that means the beginning, Genesis 1, Jesus is the word of God. Jesus was with God in the beginning of the creation. So you've got God the Father, you've got Jesus with God in the beginning, according to John 1, 1, and then in Genesis 1, verse 2, the Holy Spirit was there. There's three separate identities of God there, but they're all one and the same. It's a mystery. It's called the Trinity. And so Jesus is promising to the church that he will give the church, any believer, a portion of himself as his Holy Spirit. So we get the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us, to bring us through. It's a very real and tangible thing. It's something for each one of us to to long for, to ask for, to seek. Now, as you noticed when I read through these verses from 15 through uh, 30 there, it, or 31, there was something that happened in the mid- middle of the conversation where Jesus starts talking about obeying, obeying, obeying. In fact, he says obe- the word obey three different times just in chapter 14, and then he says it again in chapter 15. Look with me in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And then again, he says in verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And then again in verse 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So we see here that Jesus is somehow connecting loving God with obeying his commands. And somehow in the midst of all that, the Holy Spirit is kind of wrapped around all of those things. Now, we don't want to separate the things that God hasn't separated. We want to keep these things together. And I think it's really important because the Holy Spirit is going to be the key for you and for me to do anything, to live any way that is going to be pleasing to God. I already mentioned to you that a dead person can't go find a doctor to help them. And I can also tell you this, that there is nothing within yourself that you can do to actually achieve the things of God. It has to be that you lean on God and that God's Holy Spirit fills you and lives you and lives his life through you. Well, how does he live his life through you? Well, we find here that if we obey his commands, 
But let's look at each of these commands, because each one of these commands that he gives here, there's attached to them a little promise. So go with me to 15. He says, or verse 16, he says, uh, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And then he says, and, in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So we know that, according to verse 16, if in our obedience to Jesus, he promises that he will give us a counselor. And we talked about the benefits of having the counselor in our life. But it's directly related to being obedient to God's commands. And then again, in verse 21, because he says in 21, he says that whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So the second benefit is, is that when we, in our obedience, Jesus, Jesus promises to show himself to us. Now, this doesn't mean a literal, like, you're going to, okay, I obeyed you today, God, now show yourself to me, come on, and then all of a sudden he appears in your bedroom, you know, and he's like, hello, child. No, that's not. I think it's a much more broader expression, and then this is what I think it is, is I think that as we obey God's commands, we are saying, in essence, I fear you, Lord, I, I honor your word, I want to live according to your word, and therefore I will bend my life to be according to your word, and as I mold my life to be according to your word, you reveal things about this world to me that I would never see and about yourself that I would never see otherwise. I see more of you because I obey you. You know, just simply think about it like in terms with your parents for just a minute. When a kid is told by his parents not to run out into the street, at first they're bummed out by it because they just want to run around, right? Right? But as they get a little bit older and they realize, hey, there's cars driving down that road that could smack me and squish me. And then they realize the real damage a car can cause. They realize my parents don't hate me. They don't want me to not have fun. They actually love me. They're giving me this command because they care about me. They want me to continue to go on living. Now, I would get worried if your parents are telling you to go play in the street. That might be something you might want to just check into just a little bit. If your mom's like, go play in the street. And not just this street, go to Route 7, you know. <laughs> go to the toll road. Anyways, you guys just are so asleep. It's so, it's so sad. It's, you don't even, it's too hot in here, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I don't normally sweat when I preach. This is crazy. So the first one is that he promises his counselor if we'll be obedient. The second is that in our obedience, he will give us more of himself. He'll show, us, he'll show himself to us. And then the la- and lastly, in verse 23, he says... If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching, my teaching. And he says, my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. In our obedience, Jesus promises that he will make his home with us. He'll make his home with us. Now listen, one of the things that happens when we begin to break God's commands and we begin to willfully sin in our lives, one of the things that happens is very quickly a deception will set in into your life. We'll make, and the deception is, is that everything's okay. Everything's okay. You're not, you don't need to worry about it. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. You know, and oftentimes we think just because I'm not getting caught in my sin that God must be okay with this, that's wrong also. There is wages of sin. There are, uh, you will reap the, the, uh, the fruit of that. It will bear fruit eventually. You know, we plant a seed, it takes a season for it to bear fruit. And sometimes sinful activity in our lives, it, it takes time before we actually bear the fruit of it. And so one of the things about sin is that it's deceptive. 
one of the things that keeps you from sinning is God's very presence in your life. When you say, God, I want you in me, I want you with me, I want, you, I want more of your presence, in essence, you're protecting yourself. You're asking God to be there so that you will not partake in sinful behavior. There is a direct connection between God's Holy Spirit and our sinful behavior because God's holy. He cannot, he cannot bless sinful behavior. Now, his grace will cover it for a season. His grace will be over you, and we will all do things sinfully, uh, you know, willfully or not, and we will have times in our life where we will have activity where God just desires we wouldn't do it. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the one who says, I'm just going to continue in the behavior that I have that I know God doesn't like, and I'm going to press forward it, and I just am going to be careless about it. That's when God removes his presence from you in a great way. And what happens is it, and you, it allows you to continue to press forward into that activity that God does not desire for you. Obeying his commands, obedience to his commands, is vital to having a spiritually filled life, to having a life that's abundant, by God's Holy Spirit. It's what he desires for every single one of us. And all of, a lot of us in here know what that's like because we've come back from summer camp or winter camp and the Holy Spirit's kind of been poured out and we've been refreshed by the Holy Spirit. And we, we see a contrast between the way we were living before camp and when we get back. And we say, this is what I need to continue in and this is what I don't need to do. And there's a contrast that's given to us. It's marked, it's evident, we see it for real. That's because you've drawn near to God, he's drawn near to you, and you've decided to obey his commands, and so he's given you a greater portion of his presence, just like he says there in 23, that he will make his home with you. He's taken, his, he's taken residence in your heart in a greater portion because you're being more obedient to him. Now, he'll never take his spirit from you. He'll never remove it from you. But certainly, you can deaden out the voice of his Holy Spirit by stacking sins between you and God. And that's something that we all have the option of doing. So we want to guard our hearts in that way. We definitely want to guard our hearts in that way. Our obedience to God's commands brings us into a greater intimacy with God. It's just that simple. He says, if you love me, if you love me, if you love me. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. 